We had the uh, blessing this weekend to have Dr. Jim Martin with us. And uh, I'm so grateful uh, as a part of that committee to have somebody like Jim uh, to come in. Jim is the vice president at Harding University uh, in charge of the Harding School of Theology. And so uh, Jim works with lots of churches uh, on uh, searches and lots of ministers. And so uh, that's what he's doing every day. And that's a blessing. And so I thank the elders and the deacons that have helped to uh, support in getting Jim here uh, because uh, Jim is helping us to uh, design a, a really good process. And we would have done it wrong without him. So uh, on our on our own, um, uh, we would have needed more of God's power in order to have a good result. And so uh, we're very thankful to have somebody like Jim So Jim spent time with the elders yesterday, spent over five hours with the search committee in training and then uh, is going to preach for us today. So uh, we're blessed to be able to hear him uh, preach the gospel to us. And then uh, we'll do a wrap up session with the search committee this afternoon before Jim uh, flies home. So, uh, Jim, again, uh, welcome. I'll also mention uh, that Jim is a part of our lineage Uh, Jim was once the minister of uh, what we then called ourselves the Gladstone Church of Christ, maybe 25 years ago, something like that. And so um, it's good to welcome you home. Welcome back home. You would to uh, John chapter 10. John chapter 10. Well, thanks very much, Clark, for those nice words. And I did enjoy being here yesterday and enjoyed uh, five hours, five hours with uh, the search committee and uh, spent, I think, about an hour with the elders uh, first and uh, just really appreciate the invitation to be here. And and it is good to be back because uh, I look around and people I knew as little kids are all grown up and have mortgages and children and things like that. And uh, anyway, Charlotte would love to have been here and kind of seen you all, and it's been good to meet so many of you that I've never met before. So, Sunday morning uh, like this, and it really doesn't matter where you live, but you come on a Sunday morning uh, church, and you bring in uh, the door, you bring in all the stuff of life. And how complicated it gets. And some of it is related maybe to your children. For some of it, it's related to just what we're dealing with, with a high school child right now, or a young adult that you're just pretty worried about right now. And some of it relates to health. Some of you know what it's like to have, you had doctor's appointments last week and you got them this week. You know about that. And for some of you, it relates to uh, marriage. And for some of you, it relates to just kind of where you are right now. Decisions to make. And you've you've said to yourself, and maybe you've said to God in prayer, what am I going to do? And and what should I do? And whatever whatever that means. And I want you to know that uh, there's a sense in which we're all in this together. I'm going to tell this silly story. I mean, I'm telling you, it is, Herb, it is silly. 
John Maxwell tells a story of six men in a boat. Three are at one end, three are at the other end, and the boat is leaking. There's water rushing into the boat, and it's rushing into the boat from one end. And so there are three men on one end of the boat who are frantically scooping water out. And there are three men on the other end of the boat, and they've got their arms folded like this. If you've got your arms folded like this, that's okay. But they've got their arms folded like this, and they're looking at those three guys. And finally, one guy, you've, you've probably seen that before, some watching the others. And, and, and finally, one of those guys says, he's watching these men frantically scoop water out. Man, I'm so glad that hole's not on our end of the boat. Isn't it silly? It's just silly. But it's absolutely true that sometimes we think that because we don't live in certain places, isn't it wonderful we don't have those problems? Or because we're, we're, not, we're not having to deal with this or that, isn't it wonderful that we don't have to deal with those issues? The absolute truth about life in our relationship before God is that we're all in this together. Every single person needs God. Cars are zipping up and down this highway out here and folks live all over this city who desperately need the Lord. And the truth is, it doesn't matter who you are or where you're from or how old you are. Every one of us need the Lord. You're white, you're black. You're uneducated, you're educated. You got a nice job, you just wish you had a job. You got these kids and all of them brush their teeth and and you got these kids and you don't know what you're going to do with them. Every single one of us need the Lord. And all of us have that in common. We've all got that in common. And yet, what kind of gets in our way sometimes is that there are a lot of voices that distract us. A lot of voices that distract us. Uh, social media voices alone can distract you, right? You got a message on Facebook, somebody tweeted you, somebody's, you know, you check your notifications, oh my goodness, somebody's contacted you on LinkedIn, you got a text, you got a phone call, and on and on. And you look at this phone, and people are saying, I want your attention. I want your attention. And sometimes I'll look at my phone and I don't even know some of these people and I feel this urgency to check it. Because somebody wants my attention. And then some of the voices go above and beyond wanting your attention. And they want to size you up. You're worth a whole lot right here in this middle. Y'all aren't worth very much. Y'all are attractive. You're unattractive. You're important. You're not important. I mean, there are folks that just look at you and size you up. You got a car, you got a certain house, you live in a certain neighborhood, you got a certain bank, you know, a certain level of a bank account, on and on and on, sizing you up, deciding how much you are worth as a human being. What we do on Sunday morning 
is we come together like this and we remember again two things. One, we remember who we are and that we're all in this together. And we remember who we need to be listened to. We remember who we need to be listened to. We're going to read a portion of John 10. I want to begin with verse 1. John 10, verse 1. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. I'm going to read a few more verses, and here's what I want you to listen for. Listen for any language uh, that encourages you to listen, or listen to his voice, or hearing him. Listen, watch for that language. Here we go. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. And the gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. Never follow a stranger. In fact, they'll run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Let me read a few more verses. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate, and whoever enters through me will be saved, and they will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That sounds like long ago and far away. Sheep and shepherd? I mean, we're smack dab here in a city. Sheep and shepherd? Some of you, I'm guessing, grew up on the farm. But sheep and shepherd? Maybe. Maybe not. And yet, Jesus uses this language. And sometimes when we select elders, we kind of trot this one out and look at it for a few minutes and then leave it back in John 10 until the next time we do something like that. But I want to tell you, this has great value. Because it says a little bit about the spirit that any father or mother should have for their children. Any small group leaders should have toward those in their small groups. Any minister should have toward a congregation or any elder should have toward a congregation. It says so much about the Spirit. What God has called us to be as a people who all need the Lord. I'm told, I'm told that sheep and shepherds, that this was common. This would have been common to this audience. I mean, it was the sheep who would actually listen to the voice of their shepherd and they knew when a shepherd would call sheep 
the sheep knew whether or not that shepherd was their own shepherd. They knew that. The shepherd would provide water and food and care for the sheep. The, the shepherd would even lay down at the gate, like, like if there was a pen and the sheep were in the pen at night, I'm told that the shepherds would lie down at the gate to protect the sheep. The shepherd, the sheep, there was a relationship there and the sheep listened to the shepherd's voice and the sheep knew they could trust the shepherd. This is all about Jesus. Listening to his voice. Wow. I want to tell you something this morning about the voice of Jesus. And I want to encourage us as a people, and we all have this in common, we all desperately need Jesus, and we all desperately need to be listening to him more than anybody else. More than anybody else. A little bit about his voice. Number one, Jesus' voice is a protecting voice. Jesus' voice is a safe voice. Some of you know what it is to be in environments that are not safe. Unfortunately, some of you may know what it is to be in home environments that are not safe. And some of, it, some of us knows what, know what it is to listen to people who do not have our best interest at heart he refers to a wolf and a thief in this passage. Have you all noticed that not everybody that talks to you has your best interest at heart? you all ever bought a bill of goods and then you got home and you thought, what have I done? A pile of junk here I think I bought. Some of us have bought things off the Internet and it just looks so good in the picture. And then it arrived and I opened it pretty disappointing. Some of you know what it is, I'm guessing, to have just been swindled. To have somebody tell you that this was a, this certain product was really good and it would, it, would, it would just, you know, it would help you. In fact, it was a deal, but only for a short while. And it was a deal and you bought it. And I'm not making fun of you because I've bought it before. I bought it, you bought it. You learn after a while. Not everybody has your best interest at heart. There are people that are wolves, and there are people that are thieves, and they just as soon con you to look at you. Not, the, not Jesus. Let me tell you something about Jesus, and I want to ask all of you to hear this. Jesus' voice is a safe voice. He will never, ever, ever ask you to do anything or say anything to you that is not in your best interest. You can absolutely trust Him. When Jesus tells you to do something or not do something, when Jesus tells you about a certain attitude He wants to see in you or me, He's never messing with you. He's never doing something to try to manipulate you. He is saying this to you because He has your best interest at heart. His voice is a safe voice. I came home, I think I was about maybe one of the age of you guys. I came home one night, worked at this burger place. I came home smelling every night like a walking burger. And I would walk in the door late at night, walked in the door real late at night one time, got off late. 
My daddy was sitting at the kitchen table and he had his bills all lined out. I asked him what he was doing. He said, I'm trying to figure out how to pay our bills. My daddy had gone to work for a man at our church. A man who led prayer sometime. A man who opened the Bible and read it to us all sometime. Went to work for a man at our church. My dad was in sales most of his work life. and He was on the road a lot during the week. Be home on the weekends. It seemed like his territory was Louisiana, parts of Arkansas, and parts of East Texas, I think. Anyway, went to work for this man traveling. I remember one night he walked at the door. My mama, she was standing at the stove working on tonight's supper. And I remember he walked in, my dad's 6'4", walked in and he's holding his arms like this and he's standing there at the doorway. She's at the, she's at the stove. And he says, he won't pay me. And she looked up, spatula in hand, and she said, you have got to be kidding me. He said he won't pay him. This was one of his very good friends. And so now, here on this Thursday or Friday evening, I forget, he's sitting at the kitchen table trying to figure out how to pay his bill, how to pay our bill. The voice of Jesus is not a voice where you have to sit around and wonder if if you can trust Him or if you can count on Him or if He has your best interest at heart. When Jesus tells you something, there is payday. When Jesus tells you something, you can absolutely count on what He says. Does that make sense? Here's a second one. When Jesus tells you something... You can know that He will guide you. His, his voice is a guiding voice. We moved to Memphis. Moved to Memphis three and a half years ago. I preached in churches for 38 years. We moved to Memphis three and a half years ago. I'm still preaching a lot of Sundays, but I'm working with Harding School of Theology. And we decided one, one weekend to go see our kids in Oklahoma City. This is Jamie. Our youngest daughter married to Cal, big tall guy. They've got a little boy who I affectionately refer to as Mr. Sully. His first name is Sully. And we were going to go see them, so we leave Memphis to go to Oklahoma City. Well, I know the interstate to go, you know, that's kind of obvious there. And, uh, but we've never gone that way. We would always come up from Texas to Oklahoma City. Now we're coming from Memphis. Well, we're outside of Memphis, get my phone, type in her address, everything. You know, the phone, there's, there's a woman in the phone. She knows what to do. And so she starts talking, and we, we come into Memphis, and there's this loop. And, and so we get on what I think is the right, right part of the loop, and she says, exit next right. Well, I kind of know where our kids live in Oklahoma City, and we're nowhere near where they live at this point. And I'm not sure exactly how to get there, but I know we don't need to exit because we're not nowhere near there. And so, I don't know, I just went on. I mean, she said exit, but I went on. And 
she started talking again, and she said, uh, exit next right and turn around. And Charlotte and I were just, you know, we'd glance at her, and we went on. Just, just keep going. Well, she wasn't about to give up at that point. And she said, exit next right and turn around. And finally, I hit this little button right here on the top, and she, she went away. And, and uh, we kept driving and, and then brought her back again later. Now, I follow my phone a lot. I mean, when I'm going somewhere, I type the thing in. Like I'm guessing probably most of you do. And most of the time you get there. I don't know what was going on that night, but we weren't. We were going to take forever to get to their house going her way. See, I don't have to wonder what Jesus is about. I, when I pray about something, when I'm trusting in His guidance, when I'm trusting in who He is, I don't have to sit back and go, I wonder if that's really the best thing for us. You know, what I think He wants us to do. I wonder if that's really the best thing for us, for me to obey in this way. His guidance is absolutely trustworthy. If I read something in the Bible and I see this is exactly what He wants me to do and exactly the kind of attitude He wants me to have, that's a done deal. You can count on His guidance. And here's a third one. You can count on Him to clarify life and your thinking. Jesus' voice is a clarifying voice. Jesus is not playing mind games with you. He's not trying to make life hard for you. The objective with Jesus is not to create as many obstacles as He can to see if you can make it. Now, it's the voice of Jesus. There was this moment, you remember this in Luke 9, uh, there was this moment when Jesus and two of his closest followers get up and go up on the mountain to pray. It's the story of the Mount Transfiguration, the story of the Transfiguration. And God, the Lord God's voice comes out of the clouds and he says this, This is my Son, whom I have chosen. Listen. Listen to him. There's this wonderful story of Luciano Pavarotti. He's this famous Italian. Go ahead and move that to the next slide if you would. He's this famous Italian singer. There was this interview he 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 he, he did a number of years ago. He's dead now, buried in northern Italy. I'm told that after the Second World War, his tenor. His voice kind of set the standards for, for anybody who would sing an opera, who would sing tenor in opera. Pavarotti was being interviewed, and uh, somebody asked him, the, 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 the interviewer asked him, uh, said, well, well, what about your voice? And he said, well, if you're listening to the radio, and you hear music, you know if it's me. My voice is like that of no one else. And that's Jesus, isn't it? His voice is unique. There is no other voice like Jesus. There's a guy by the name of Tom Long who told a story. 
I'll go ahead and advance to it. Tell the story of uh, this New York Society matron back in the 19, late 1940s. She had this long touring car that she was proud of. And she decided one Saturday to take it out for a drive. She was going to drive from New York to Princeton, New Jersey. And she did. She pulled up in front of the old Princeton Inn. And in those days, I'm told, this was quite a hotel. She pulls up in front of the Princeton Inn and she takes her luggage and kind of regally sachets to the front door. There's this little man standing right in front of the right in front of the front doors and, and she she brought her luggage and just put it to his feet and then she opened her purse and kind of fished around for a quarter, found one, and pressed it into the palm of the little man's hand. The little man standing there, quarter in hand, luggage at his feet. He didn't work there. I think she thought he was the doorman. He was Albert Einstein, and he was on his way to his office. He worked. He worked at Princeton in those days, had an office at Princeton, didn't live that far away, and would walk to work. He got to the hotel that morning and was kind of winded and decided to stop in front of the doors and just, just rest for a minute and kind of peered in. And All of a sudden, he's got a quarter in his hand and luggage at his feet. She sashays into the lobby. Somebody said, uh, Dr. Einstein, what did you do? He said, took her luggage in. And he put the quarter in his pocket, took the luggage into the lobby, and went on to the office. I love that story. It's the wonderful story of a woman who thought she was talking to a hotel doorman. And she was talking to one of the most renowned physicists of our time. Could it be that the one thing you need most, the one thing I need most, is just right in front of It's just right in front of See, what I don't want to do as a person who comes to church and I've got all this stuff going on during the week and I've got these worries and I've got these issues, what I don't want to do is to spend my life looking for something that may be right in front of me. Do you know the one thing that all of us desperately need most? And that is to listen to the voice of Jesus and to follow and obey. doesn't matter if you're dealing with marriage issues, kids, financial issues, whatever it is. That is the one thing most that you need, that I need. What do you do during a period of transition like this as a church? What do you do when there's talk of search committees and search and transition? What do you do? You listen to the one voice you need most. I love what you said in your prayer a moment ago that you used a little expression, and pardon me if I butcher it, but something to the extent that we pray that this pleases you. I want to make sure that during the week, as I deal with that husband of mine, as I deal with that child of mine, 
I want to make sure as I deal with bills on the kitchen table or whatever it is, I want to make sure that I am listening to the one that I most need to listen to and that every word coming out of my mouth would please Him. I want to make sure that what I say to my brothers and sisters in the body of Christ is what would please the Lord. I want to make sure that what I'm thinking about, what I plan to do, what I dream of doing, what I want to do, is what would please the Lord. He is the one person I need most in my life. I'm 63 years old right now. I can't believe that. Do you know, I, I'm telling you, to this day, I need to live in obedience and response to Jesus Christ as much as I ever did at 20. Till the day I die. I need to hear His voice more than anything. We lived in Waco those 20 years. And we moved there right after, some of you remember that awful tragedy with the Branch Davidians. We moved months after that to that city. And for 20 years, I I preached for that church and worked with those folks and worked with the elders. And we we, we all worked together to be salt and light, leaven and central tech beyond. There was a hospital half a block away. Providence Hospital. Isn't that a name for a hospital? Providence Hospital. It was about half a block away. And one morning, I went to the hospital, and and I was going to, I can't remember who this was, but I was going to pray with somebody right before their surgery, and it seems like the surgery was very early in the morning. So I go to the hospital, go up the elevator, go into the room, pray with the person, get back on the elevator and, and the elevator's pretty full and we go down a floor and more get on and you know how we are in the elevators we're looking straight ahead you try not to touch anybody and you're kind of just straight ahead it's kind of a quiet thing usually in the elevator we went down a floor and this nurse got on there were already a couple of nurses on, but this nurse got on, and I'm telling you, that thing was, that elevator car was pretty full, and she managed to kind of squeeze in, and the doors closed, and she was just facing the crease of the door. And the elevator began to move, and this is what we all heard. She said, there was a a nurse to my left. I was kind of in the back. She was kind of to my left. And she evidently knew this nurse. And she said, Mary, how's your morning? Mary, this nurse that had just sighed deeply, she's still looking straight ahead. And I don't know what happened with Mary that morning. I don't know. I don't know if she had just left a difficult meeting with a supervisor. I don't know if she had just walked out of a patient's room that maybe she wasn't expecting that person to live. To live. I don't know if maybe she had just dealt with a difficult family. I have no idea. 
But her friend said, Mary, how's your morning? This is what Mary said. Mind you, we're still going down, down, down. Mary said, I'm blessed. I am richly blessed. You thought we were quiet before? We sure enough were quiet when she said that. And we're just all in silence, you know, just just kind of thinking about what she just said. And we get to the bottom floor, and the way this works in the hospital, you get to the bottom floor, and you can either kind of fan to the right or fan to the left and toward the parking lot. I went left, and the three nurses were in front of me, Mary and the two friends on the elevator. And one of her friends, I, I was right behind them, one of her friends said to Mary, said, Mary, me too. I'm richly blessed. You know what we remember when, on a Sunday morning like this? We remember that no matter what we've got going on during the week, no matter what pressure we're under, no matter what stress we're dealing with, no matter what the issue is, we are a people who are blessed. We're blessed. In spite of it all, we're blessed. And what I want to do today is I want to leave here, and I try to remember this every Sunday, I want to leave here, and yes, i got things to work through, and yes, i got things i got to deal with, but I know that I am so blessed by the Lord. And what I want to do is to kind of regroup and say, you know, more than anybody else, I want to pay attention to what He wants in my life. How about it? You may want the prayers of this gathering here. And I know this church would be glad to pray for you. But why don't we stand for a moment and sing together.